Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Two weeks now, we have focused on Narlene Hollingsworth's statement that Damien Eccles and her niece, Dominique Tear were walking near the crime scene with muddy clothes on the night of the murders. We ended episode 515 with this anonymous tip. Detective Mike Allen picked up on line one and talked with what sounded like an older white female who stated that she had overheard that a Damien and a Dominic killed those three little boys and that LG, last name unknown, took and laundered their clothing. Caller stated that Damien had body parts in a box from the children. The caller stated she didn't want to give her name and that she heard that LG's mother was going to lie about LG's whereabouts. Signed, Mike Allen. Today we're going to shift our focus back to this tip, as well as Narlene Hollingsworth's statements and testimony. This time, however, our focus will be shifting from Damien Eccles to L.G. Hollingsworth's potential involvement in the murders. There were three tips called into the West Memphis Police Department that mentioned L.G. Hollingsworth. The first, you just heard. The anonymous caller told police that she had overheard that Damien and Dominie had committed the murders and that L.G. had laundered their clothing for them. The caller also claimed that LG's mother was planning to lie for him regarding his whereabouts. As I've previously stated, I personally don't believe that there is much merit to this tip. I believe that the tipster was simply relaying third-hand gossip to the police. However, the day before this tip came in, on May 9th, Narlene had called in a tip herself. She goes into much greater detail and also names her ex-stepson, now nephew, LG Hollingsworth. This is the tip that Narlene called into the West Memphis PD on May the 9th. Narlene Hollingsworth called and stated that she saw the boys on their bikes at Weaver at 4.45 p.m. on Wednesday going away from their home. Also, she saw Dominique and Damien Wednesday at 9.40 p.m. walking from the Blue Beacon toward Lakeshore Estates. They looked dirty. L.G. Hollingsworth, age 17, was at laundromat at 9.30 p.m. According to Mrs. Hollingsworth, her nephew, L.G., made the statement on Thursday that he knew about what happened before anyone else. 
LG has 666 on the side of his boots. LG resides at 714 Macaulay Circle with his parents, LG and Linda. He works at Big Star West. Damien is mean and evil, according to Mrs. Hollingsworth. Focusing in on LG this time around, Narlene says that he was at the laundromat at 9.30 p.m. on the night of the murders, and that on the day after the murders, he told her that, quote, he knew about what happened before anyone else. This particular part of Narlene's tip never seems to be addressed in any of her future statements or testimony, which seems odd because if true, it's pretty damning. And if you really read this tip, you see that LG is actually the real focus. She names him four times in the tip, whereas Damien is only mentioned twice and Dominie only once. The main body of the tip is related to LG. From the document, LG Hollingsworth, age 17, was at laundromat at 9.30 p.m. According to Mrs. Hollingsworth, her nephew, LG, made a statement on Thursday that he knew what happened before anyone else. LG has 666 on the side of his boots. LG resides at 714 Macaulay Circle with his parents, Linda and LG. He works at Big Star West. The next day, Narlene met with Detective Dabbs and Lieutenant Hester to give her recorded statement. You've all had the displeasure of hearing that statement in its entirety in episode 515. Let's now go back to that statement, I promise I won't make you listen to it again, and see if we can track what Narlene has to say about her nephew, right after a short break. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Hubble Contacts. Mike, you've been wearing Hubble Contacts for going on a year now. So can you tell the listeners what you love about them? Well, for starters, they just cost a dollar a day, which is way cheaper than any contacts I've ever owned. And with Hubble, there's no maintenance, no storage containers, no solutions. Pop them in in the morning, throw them out at night, and open a new pair the next day. So how about you, listeners? Are you tired of overpaying for uncomfortable contact lenses? Do you overwear the lenses you have just to save money? Well, what if I told you that you too can get a fresh pair of lenses for every single day for less? 60 contacts for $30. Do the math. Just like Mike said, that's $1 a day. This is half the price of other brands. Just go to HubbleContacts.com and get your first two weeks free. You see, contacts are expensive because four companies actually control 97% of the market. That is until now. Hubble sells directly to you, so they can offer great contacts for half the price. No more overpaying and no more overwearing. Go to HubbleContacts.com to get your first two weeks of lenses for free. That's 15 pairs of lenses for free. You really can't beat this deal. I mean, Hubble's offering our listeners two free weeks of contacts. So go to HubbleContacts.com and get 2020 vision for half the price. That's Hubble, H-U-B-B-L-E, contacts.com. Today's episode is also sponsored in part by Stamps.com. You know, my absolute favorite part about Stamps.com is the fact that they're always open. In today's society, we are all on the go all the time. In the, quote, normal hours of 9 to 5, just don't fit into everyone's schedule, including mine. In fact, a couple of weeks ago on President's Day, I had two packages that I had to mail out. And of course, that's a national holiday and the post office was closed. 
But that didn't matter for me anyway, because I was able to write from my own desk on my own computer, print the postage that I need for these packages and have them ready to go first thing the next morning. I never even had to leave the office. My mail carrier picked them up the next morning. They were out the door and I was done. Stamps.com isn't just about packages. You can mail everything from postcards to envelope to big packages, small packages, domestic or international. And you can create your Stamps.com account in minutes online with no equipment to lease and no long-term commitments. Just click, print, mail, and you're done. Stamps.com brings all of the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. And Stamps.com makes that process easy because they're going to send you a digital scale that automatically calculates the exact postage you need, the instant you need it. Stamps.com is open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And they'll even help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. And you don't have to lease an expensive postage meter, and there's no long-term commitments whatsoever. I use Stamps.com because time and money are important to me. And they should be for you too. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus postage, and a digital scale. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in TRUTH. That's stamps.com. Enter truth. Let's move chronologically here through Narlene Hollingsworth's May 10th statement as she mentions LG. LG is mentioned right off the bat by Detective Dabs. Remember, they've been speaking with Narlene for quite a while before they started recording this interview. Deb states in his opening remarks that the purpose of the interview is, quote, in reference to information Narlene is giving us on what she saw on a Damien subject and a LG Hollingsworth. Narlene then begins with tracking her day with LG. She starts off by saying that she was supposed to pick LG up that morning, but that instead he showed up at her house at 9 a.m. The two of them left together to go out job hunting for LG. Based on her statement, it sounds like it didn't take long to find one. She says that they left at 9 a.m., and then the next words out of her mouth are, quote, we found the job and went back home, and he said that he had to be home by 4.30, so he kept on around my home saying he wanted to go home, so I said okay, so it was between 20 after 5, yeah, it was 20 after 4, and we left my house, I took him straight to Macaulay where he lives, end quote. So at this point, she was supposed to pick LG up, but rather he just showed up at her house at 9 a.m., they went out job hunting, found a job, and returned to Narlene's house where LG was nagging her about going home, and then at 4.20, she leaves and drops him off at home. This is when she allegedly saw Stevie, Michael, and Christopher. Based on this part of her statement, it certainly does not seem like she went to lunch and spent the entire day with Dixie Hufford, which is what she testified to at trial. Next, Narlene describes her sighting of the three boys. This account is in direct contrast with her trial testimony about Sombra being with her and telling her that one of the boys is Stevie Branch. This is from Narlene's May 10th statement. Quote, Okay, there was two smaller boys and a little heavyset boy, a little heavier than the rest of them, and a the little heavyset one had a little bit darker hair than the rest of them. If I am not mistaken, the little heavyset boy had on a pair of green shorts with some black in it, with black and white tennis shoes on but I think they all were wearing shorts. But I'm not really sure about the other two because I got a good look at the little dark-headed boy. That's the one I can really describe better than the rest. Mm -hmm. 
While explaining that she could only really describe one of the boys, she must have forgotten to mention Sombra's identification of Stevie, or even her presence in the car for that matter. Darlene then says that she went straight home and cooked her dinner. She goes on to tell Detective Dabbs that Dixie had asked her to pick her up at work at the laundromat at 10 p.m. From there, she gives her first full rendition of the Damien and Domini sighting, and then begins to describe her encounter with Dixie at the laundromat. Narlene says that when she arrived to pick up her ex-mother-in-law, Dixie told her that LG had just left in some car. Narlene says that she then told Dixie about her sighting of Damien and Domini, and they both agreed that it was odd. She continues on to say that she returned to take LG to work the next day, which was Thursday. On the way to his work, she says that she passed the Moore and Byers homes and saw police cars outside. She says that this occurred about 10 a.m. on Thursday and that she had exclaimed to LG that something bad had happened. And LG told her, quote, get him on to work. Next, Narlene explains that LG got off work early that day and showed back up at her house around 2.40 p.m. Now, pay attention and try to track this. In the chronology of her narrative, this is now Thursday afternoon, the day the bodies were found. However, she tells Lieutenant Hester, quote, I thought that he would be working a little bit later than that on a Wednesday, end quote. Darlene gives no reason as to why LG would walk all the way out to her house in Marion when he got off work rather than just walking home. He lived in West Memphis and worked in West Memphis. And then to further confuse the situation, Darlene says that LG showed up at her house at 2.40 p.m. And then in the next line, she says, quote, the kids said that later on that night, he came over there in a yellow car with some box in them. Now, what was in the box? I don't know. The kids said that the box was about this big and something like this, and they didn't know what was in the box. But he said, don't look at it. Don't touch it. Don't step on it or I'll hurt you. End quote. So apparently, LG got off work early on what was supposed to be his first day of work. Then he just shows up at Narlene's house at 2.40 p.m. and then leaves again, I guess? But then returns later that evening in a yellow car with a mysterious box inside. One of the most frustrating parts of this case, and that list is certainly stacking up, is the fact that a lot of the questions that we're going to have as we continue on with this episode could have all been resolved if the West Memphis Police Department had gone to LG's work and verified the day he was hired and what his hours were on these days. But from the records we have, that was never done. In Arlene's statement, she then goes on to say that she stopped by her sister-in-law's house on the 9th of May, and Deborah, the sister-in-law, told her that she had went to LG's house and, quote, they were whispering and shaking their heads, end quote. Arlene claims to have told Deborah that she, quote, has a funny feeling about that field, end quote. And according to Arlene, Deborah replied that she does too. Later on in the transcript, she explains in a little more detail the events that took place at LG's house as she says that Deborah relayed them to her. From the transcript, quote, She meant the mommy, the daddy, and the son. She said, I don't know what's going on over there. And she said, they are making me nervous. She's a Christian girl, and she said, I got out of there. I said, yeah, I got a bad feeling around them too. And I'll tell you something, I wouldn't take up for my kids when I know that they've done something, because ain't no telling what they would do. I don't know what LG is capable of, and I'm not saying that he would do it, and I'm not saying that he wouldn't, but I know Damien, everybody said that Damien, I know that he's supposed to have 666 on his shoes. 
That last little bit in Narlene's statement there is really kind of interesting. Because remember, in the tip that she had called in the day before, she told police that it was LG who had 666 on his boots. But now when talking to Dabs, she said that she heard that supposedly it was Damien who had 666 on his boots. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. At this point in the interview, the officers shift the conversation back to Damien. But when they ask her if she has anything else to tell them, she relays the following story from the transcript. Well, one thing, the day I run into LG, the day at the police department, he begged me to go in there and sit down with his mother. And I said, I can't do that. He says, I wasn't at no laundromat Wednesday night. I said, yes, you was. He said, no, I wasn't. Go in there and tell them I wasn't. I said, no, I won't. I said, because you was up there at that laundromat. He said, no, I wasn't. I said, yes, you was, because Ricky Hollingsworth said that I just missed you. I said, you better stop lying or they're going to get you for murdering those children. They're going to want to know why you lie. He said, all right, I was there. I said, I know you was, and I don't know why. Dabs, and that was Thursday? Narlene, and that was today. Now, here Narlene is telling Dabs that on this very day, the 10th of May, she had ran into LG at the police station, and he had asked her to lie to his mother about him being at the laundromat. After Narlene calls him out, he allegedly admitted to being there on the night of the murders. But then she goes on to clarify, I suppose... It's hard to tell because she talks so fast and she's all over the place. One minute, she says that LG asked her to go inside to the police station to talk to his mom. Then a few seconds later, she says that he asked her to go in and say that she actually was his mom. From the transcript. Today, I went down to pay on his fine. LG come running out of the building where the police department. He said, you go in there and tell them that you are mommy. I said, no, I won't. I said, where is your mother? And he said, I don't know, but she won't come up here with me. I said, well, I said, they will ask you some questions and you answer them. I said, they will let you go. But then if you start telling a bunch of lies and they catch you in them, he said, well, uh, I wasn't over there that day. I said, yes, you was, LG. Then he said, I was. I said, I know you was. He said, if you start saying that about Damien, you're going to get in trouble. I said, well, the mommy is up here stating that he was, Damien was with her all the time. I said, well, the mommy is a liar, ain't she? He said, you seen him coming down the street. I said, yes, LG, and I am not lying for him. I am not scared of that boy. He said, well, don't you put yourself in that kind of trouble. Well, I'm going to take care of LG. At the end of the interview, Narlene circles back to the box in LG's car. 
She tells Dabs that it's really bothering her. She says that the kids told her that the box smelled terrible and that LG wouldn't open it. At the end of the day, for a woman who doesn't even live in the same city where the murders occurred, she seems to have stumbled into being a part of just about every single angle of the investigation. She saw what was first some boys on bikes in the afternoon of the murders, but then by trial she could identify Stevie Branch through her son's girlfriend. Then she sees Damien and Dominie walking near the crime scene in muddy clothing on the night of the murders, then gets to the laundromat and finds out from Dixie that LG had been there in a strange car. The next day, she witnesses LG visiting the trailer park with a mysterious stinky box. Then a few days later, she happens to run into LG at the police station where he either asks her to go talk to his mom or, in fact, be his mom and lie to the police. Oh, and let's not forget that at one point she was certain that she saw and spoke to Jesse Miss Kelly at his trailer park on the night of the murders at 6.30 p.m. So much so that she spoke to Jesse's father about it and even wrote a letter to his defense attorneys. But then she was reminded months after the incident by her children that no mom, it was actually Thursday when you saw Jesse. It's actually really pretty amazing that one woman from a different town just happened to find herself right smack dab in the middle of so many elements of this case. Let's summarize where we're at to this point. Just based on Narlene's tip and statements, these are the allegations that we have against LG so far. He's accused of driving a strange car to the laundromat at 9.30 p.m. on the night of the murders, showing up at Narlene's house the next day in a yellow car containing mysterious stink box, and then asking Narlene to lie for him about his presence at the laundromat. This was enough for the West Memphis Police Department to bring LG into the station for questioning. Although based on what Narlene said in her interview, LG was actually brought in on the 10th before Narlene had spoken to Dabs and Hester. When you read between the lines of Narlene's transcript, it's clear that there was a lot of things happening in the investigation that were never documented. For example, according to Narlene, LG was being interviewed on the 10th. However, we have no report from that interview. We also know that Narlene was interviewing with the police officers for quite a while before she ever went on the record with a recorded interview. She references riding around with them and pointing certain locations out to them, but none of that is documented. What we do have is what is called a subject description of LG in the police files dated the 10th of May. This is a form filled out by officers anytime they interview anyone. We also have a note dated May the 10th in the file that has his name written on top and a list of items underneath it. From that note, it says, one knife and sheath, one pair of black and white Adidas tennis shoes, one pair of LA gear tennis shoes, one pair of Adidas tennis shoes, and one pair of LA gear tennis shoes. I'm not sure if the tennis shoes were listed twice or if he had two pairs of each brand. In any case, what the note tells us is that LG was in contact with the police on the 10th, but as I said, we have no report from any interview. There is, however, an undated handwritten note in LG's file that may be from an interview on that day. The note reads as follows. Wednesday, Narlene Hollingsworth and Tabitha, 8 a.m., Accident, 12 noon. Mom got off at 3 or 4, went over. Mom went out with friends, went to Winbury Apartment, went to Flash Market on Ingram, 10 p.m., then Richard drove home. Yellow LTD, which I imagine he's describing Richard's car here, used to be a member Tullahoma Baptist in Memphis, 
last been to Robin Hood six to nine months ago. Chris Luttrell, Broadway Trailer Park, and then this part of the note is circled. Dominie wearing black, Damien black. Narlene said she saw Damien and Dominie somewhere near his house. He believed about 10.30 p.m. on Wednesday. So that part is sort of interesting. According to LG, Narlene had told him that the sighting of Damien and Dominie occurred near his house, not out on the service road. Although I would concede that the definition of near is certainly up for interpretation. Now the next day, on May the 11th, that's when things start to get a little more interesting when LG is brought in for a polygraph examination. Before we get into LG's polygraph, let me first give a bit of background on the polygraph in general. Most of you probably know, but for clarity's sake, I want to make clear that polygraphs are not lie detector tests. The machines simply measure anatomical responses to the stimulation of being asked and giving answers to questions. The tests produce charts with several measurements. These could include heart rate, blood pressure, respirations, capillary dilation, skin conductivity, and muscle movement. The West Memphis Police Department used what is called a Stoetling Ultrascribe instrument. The machine has four needles that create lines on the strip or chart as the examiner asks questions. The needles measure respirations in the chest and abdomen, skin conductivity, which is the resistance of the skin to a small electrical current, and cardio activity, namely pulse and blood pressure. Basically, their machine read how your breathing, heart rate, blood pressure, and skin conductivity changed as you were being asked questions. The point being that the machine does not detect lies or deception. The examiner does. A skilled polygraph examiner will analyze the charts and see how the body reacted during control questions and relevant questions. It is by no means an exact science, which is why the tests have not been allowed to be mentioned in a courtroom for decades now. An inexperienced polygraph examiner could look at a chart and determine that due to spikes in one direction or another that a subject is lying. Whereas a more skilled and experienced examiner could look at the same chart and realize that the spike actually occurred three seconds before the question was asked. And in fact, the subject may have just been clearing his throat. I'm saying all this because last week a listener asked me if the West Memphis Police Department detective Bill Durham was trained to conduct these polygraph tests. And the answer is yes. The West Memphis PD purchased their first polygraph machine about a year before these murders, and Detective Durham was sent to a class to get certified on the machine. As a point of reference, one of the tests that he conducted where he determined, and I quote, he's lying his ass off, end quote, was later analyzed by a world-renowned expert in the field who said that the particular subject only showed signs of deceptions when asked about prior drug use, which was a control question. No deception was indicated when the subject was asked any of the relevant questions about the murders. To put it very bluntly, Durham completely botched his analysis of the charts and came up with exactly the wrong conclusion. Nonetheless, Detective Durham was fond of playing with his new toy. In fact, if you've been thinking maybe that anybody failed a West Memphis polygraph should be dragged off in shackles, you may want to think again. A not-so-well-known fact in this case is that there were actually 41 different polygraph examinations conducted by Durham. And out of those 41, 13 tests indicated deception to at least one question. And that's not even counting Chris Morgan and Brian Holland, who both flunked their polygraphs out in California. That's a total of 15 people who failed polygraphs in this case. And if you take the time to go through all of Durham's post-interview notes on these exams, 
You'll see that he's pretty selective about how and when he makes excuses for people. One person will fail a test, and Durham will note that they failed because they're on medication. But when Damien Eccles indicated deception, according to Durham, and he was on the psychosomatic medications for depression, that wasn't deemed to be relevant. In a nutshell, I personally have never given any value to a polygraph test to begin with, but I certainly don't consider any polygraph conducted by the West Memphis Police Department in this case to be of any importance whatsoever. That being said, let's discuss L.G. Hollingsworth's exam. We only have a one-page report from Durham on L.G.'s polygraph, and it doesn't list the questions that were asked. Just as at the bottom, deception indicated to question number 11. Then after that, Durham wrote, quote, says he suspects Damien. This is complete speculation, but all I can infer from that note is that the question was likely, do you know who killed those boys? Maybe LG said no, and it indicated deception. And Durham is explaining it away by saying that he suspects Damien and therefore showed deception when he said that he didn't know who did it. After submitting to the polygraph on May 11th, things seem to quiet down for LG for a few days. But he comes back onto the scene on May 16th right after the break. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Five days after L.G. Hollingsworth submitted to a polygraph, the West Memphis Police Department received some sort of what looks like a fax from a police station in Kentucky. On May 16th, they received the following note. Mr. Simpson has shown this department an ID showing he is a police department building inspector with the West Memphis Police Department. Hollingsworth is with this subject. They are driving a 79 Ford LTD registered to Tri-State Word Ministries, West Memphis, Arkansas. Can you advise if this is a correct ID and any other information that you might have on these two subjects or the vehicle they are driving? They are not in custody, but have been in the Princeton, Kentucky area today and have been acting suspicious. So it would seem that LG and his 49-year-old friend, Richard Simpson, had left Arkansas and were stopped by police in Princeton, Kentucky. The sheriff states that they were acting suspicious, and Richard evidently provided the officers with an ID stating that he works for the West Memphis Police Department. The notes never indicated whether or not the ID was valid, but based on the return facts from West Memphis, it appears that Chief Inspector Gary Gitchell had made a phone call to clear some things up. Here's the note from West Memphis PD back to the Kentucky Sheriff's Office. Do you need any further on Richard Simpson and L.G. Hollingsworth? Your message came after the phone conversation between Inspector Gitchell and myself and your officer. We have tried to send this message and had to clear it several times to run the traffic. That is why the delay to getting back to your department. And then we have the final reply back from the Kentucky Sheriff's Office. No further information is needed. The subjects have left the area and are believed to be heading back to West Memphis, Arkansas. Thank you for your assistance. A few days go by, and then we have the Dixie Hufford interview with Brian Ridge. This is one of the reports we went over last week. Ridge and Gitchell interviewed Dixie at her home on May the 20th. 
This is what Dixie had to say about LG. Hollingsworth came to the laundry where she works on 5-5 in a small light-colored car and asked her for Domini's number. This occurred about 9 to 9.30 p.m. Dixie stated that Narlene and Ricky Hollingsworth picked her up from work at a few minutes before 10 p.m. that night and took her home. Dixie came to work and Linda Hollingsworth came in asking about where LG had been during the evening on 5-5. When Dixie told her of him coming to the laundry in the small car, she asked if she was sure it wasn't Richard Simpson's car. Dixie stated that she knew Richard's car and that was not his. And then the last line of the report reads, quote, Dixie believes that LG had on a white shirt and tie that night he came to the laundry, end quote. That part is interesting because according to Narlene, they had went out job hunting that morning and then LG came back to her house and then she had dropped him back off at his house hours before he had supposedly went to the laundromat. So what I'm wondering is why is he still wearing a tie at 9.30 that night? The next time we hear from LG is six days after Dixie's interview. LG was questioned on May 26 by Brian Ridge, who wrote out the following report. On this date, I interviewed LG Hollingsworth in the West Memphis Police Department concerning the above noted case. LG stated that he didn't know anything about the murders and that on Wednesday, he was with Richard Simpson at his house from 5.30 p.m. until about 9.30 p.m. He stated that after that, he went home just before his mother arrived home. He stated that he got on the phone with Domini and was talking with her about the problems that she and Damien were having, and that is when his mother came in about 10 p.m. LG gave a complete statement concerning his activities during that time period. I next interviewed Richard Simpson, who stated that LG was not with him during that period of time until Thursday evening. Signed, Detective Ridge. Although Ridge's report states that LG gave a full statement, this report is the only documentation we have on that interview. LG says that he doesn't know anything about the murders, and that on the night of the 5th, he was with his friend Richard Simpson. According to the report, Simpson denied being with LG on the 5th. This is Richard Simpson's May 26th statement. Be aware that, strangely, this report jumps from first to third person, so I think that Richard maybe started writing it, and then Ridge finished it, except for it's the same handwriting through the whole thing. But here's the statement. Wednesday, the 5th of May, LG called me from his house at about 6.30 p.m. to come and get him, but I didn't go get him. Was not with Richard Simpson during that time. Richard stated that he did spend Thursday night through the weekend with him, but that LG didn't come over on 5-5 Wednesday. He received a call about 6.30 p.m. from LG, who stated that he was at home, but LG didn't come over. Further conversations with Richard about the shirt and tie that LG borrowed for work revealed that Richard remembered him borrowing the tie for his new job and that Richard thinks that he took LG home at about 9.30 p.m. that night. A polygraph examination was given to Richard concerning this event. Signed, Brian Ridge. Richard Simpson actually took two polygraph tests. The first one was back on May 14th, two days before we got the reports in from Kentucky. These are the relevant questions he was asked and his answers. Have you told me everything you know about these murders? Yes. Has anyone told you who killed those boys? No. Are you involved in those murders in any way? No. Do you know for sure who killed those boys? No. The conclusion states that no deception was indicated. The second polygraph test was conducted on the date he gave the statement that I just read on May 26. This date, he was asked the following relevant questions. Question number three. Have you told me the truth about LG being at your house on May the 5th? 
Question number five. Was LG at your house from approximately 6.30 to 9.15 on Wednesday, May 5th? Question number six is just a control question, but an interesting one. The question is, do you have any reason for dealing with these minors other than just to help them? Then question seven is a relevant question. Did LG ask you to say he was with you on May 5th? And then number nine. Did LG ask you to lie for him? At the bottom of the page, Durham wrote the following note. Subject moved during test, yawned, and appeared to be attempting countermeasures to distort the test. The funny thing about this note is that Durham, the trained detective and polygraph examiner, notes that Simpson is yawning, which he believes to be an attempt to outsmart the test. But the reality is that yawning while answering a question is a well-known indicator of deception in and of itself. It's a limbic system subconscious response when someone is lying and they know it. Now, as an aside here, I fully acknowledge that a lot of, quote, people reading is no more scientific than the readings of, say, the tea leaf variety. But this is one to put to the test. The next time you're talking to someone and asking them questions and they start yawning and looking away from you, take note of it. Then try to figure out if they're lying. I can almost guarantee you they probably are. But anyway, sorry for the sidebar. It's just that as someone that spends a lot of time studying body language, that particular statement was laughable in its irony to me. However, it is just about what we would expect from the same guy who wrote, quote, admitted through lack of denial on an official police report. Back to Richard's polygraph results. At the bottom of this report, Durham writes, deception indicated says not sure of dates, and then BS is written with two underlines, which I think is Durham speak for I don't believe him. Following Simpson's interview and failed polygraph, Brian Ridge wrote the following report. I interviewed Richard Simpson in reference to the above noted case. He advised me that he could not remember for sure that he did not have LG Hollingsworth over at his house on 55. However, he stated that LG called him at about 6.30 and requested that he come and get him. He stated that he thought that LG was at his home when he received the phone call and again stated that he was not with LG at that time. Richard stated that he was with LG on Thursday evening and that LG spent the night with him. He further stated that LG spent the rest of the weekend with him and that on Friday evening, he and LG went to a restaurant on Poplar in Memphis. He stated that LG did drink some beer and a margarita at the restaurant and that he also drank a margarita while at the bar. Side note here, LG is 17 years old. He knew that the weekend was the same because he called a friend and found that a check was being written on the same weekend as when LG spent the time with him. Richard stated that he did remember LG borrowed a tie and shirt from him, but that he couldn't remember when exactly he borrowed the tie. Richard stated that if LG stated that he borrowed the tie on that date, 5-5, he wouldn't argue that, but he didn't think that this occurred on that Wednesday evening. Richard submitted to a polygraph examination administered by Detective Bill Durham of the West Memphis Police Department. Signed, Detective Ridge. At this point, the West Memphis Police Department has reports on LG acting suspicious in the laundromat on the night of the murders. A family member who told police that he had said that he knew what happened to the boys before anyone else on Thursday. A family member that told police that he asked her to lie for him, followed by LG's alibi denying being with him on the night of the murders, and then later saying that he might have been. LG fails a polygraph test. Then the alibi witness, who happens to be a 49-year-old evangelist that likes to take 17-year-old boys out to bars for beers and margaritas, 
also fails a polygraph test. All after they're both picked up in Kentucky for acting suspicious two days after Richard is questioned by the police the first time. One might think that at this point, LG and Richard are starting to look like pretty good suspects. And then Brian Ridge writes this undated report. Richard Simpson was questioned on several occasions concerning his whereabouts on the night of the homicides. He has satisfactorily answered all questions concerning his whereabouts during that period of time. He's been given a polygraph examination in which he has passed according to the polygraph examiner. The only question to Simpson's activities are his relationships and activities with L.G. Hollingsworth. I seriously question his motives for being friendly with the much younger L.G. and feel that he has been responsible for the possible delinquency of L.G. As of this time, Richard is not considered to be a suspect in the homicide of the three boys unless further evidence is developed to link him to the crime scene or the victims. Signed, Detective Brian Ridge. It would seem that the bar is pretty high for Detective Ridge to qualify someone as a suspect in this case. Multiple reports of suspicious activity, proximity to the crime scene, asking people to lie for you, failed polygraphs and rumors of satanic involvement, and even a mystery stink box are not enough to be considered a suspect unless, as the report said, quote, unless further evidence is developed to link him to the crime scene and or the victims, end quote. At this point, are any of you familiar with the case beginning to see the hypocrisy here? From here, L.G. Hollingsworth fades out of the picture. That is, until September rolls around and he re-emerges with a whole new story. Next week on Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Michael Bussing is our executive producer and Shane Yoder is our sound engineer. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. Thank you to our transcription team, Sarah Mueller, Anna Dindor, Britta Bliss, and Stephanie McConnell. Make sure you keep in touch with us through email or social media or even through our tip line at 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice.